Hello, Hello and welcome. Greetings, to, <laughs> greetings. Welcome back to our lovely podcast. Welcome to episode four of Ideologica Obscura. Exactly. It's good to have you back. Exactly. Welcome, welcome back to our lovely podcast about the black hole methods, political ideologies. Ah, uh, yes. Where it's a, it's a podcast um, made for and done by um, morons such as you and I. Exactly. So, you and I, as in like me and Thomas, not you, our valued listener who has resisted our annoyance for the past four episodes. So respect to you. And congratulations, like, you get a medal. <laughs> exactly. And to give things a new spin today, we decided that I would handle the episode's contents. So I'm going to make you, I'm going to be the presenter. And Thomas is going to be the oblivious Turk that makes funny jokes every two seconds. So basically, my role for the past three episodes. Merhaba, ben Thomasim. Ben And I've been learning. Yeah, you've been learning thanks to our lovely neighbor. And after three episodes of covering the antiques of Nazbolism, I decided the antiques. Yes, like going to Ukraine and like, I don't know, like okay. trying to stage an insurrection against <laughs> capitalism or something. And I decided that we would have to do a bit of time traveling to find an ideology as thought-provoking as the previous one. Because, like, I really had to use my brain for the previous episodes to understand the intricacies of Nazbolism. Yes, because uh, as we all know, um, Aaron and I, we, we share one uh, single brain cell together. Exactly. And that has a hard time, like, holding on to dear life. Okay. So I welcome you to the France of... The, the late the, <laughs> la- the late 18th century so like between the years of 1793 and 1794 so the reign of terror which was full of political turmoil wars famines heads on pikes angered mobs and the abolishment of the institute of christianity yes they went ahead and did that sounds like macron's france Exactly, <laughs> except, except like a tad bit more moderate, I'd say. Yeah, and probably and probably more exciting and less boring. Exactly, well, you, because you know, I, I'm not sure if the streets of Paris have uh, crazy mobs carrying heads on pikes anymore. No, nah, we're no. way past that point in history. And the thing is, though, I don't want to drop our viewers straight into the reign of terror because then they're going to be very confused. They're going to be like, "Yo." Okay, it's like guillotining people, people dying, famines and all. They're fun, but I mean, I don't know why these are happening. We need some background information. We need some context. We need some enlightenment. So, I am going to give you an introduction about the French Revolution because I would not want our viewers to be as confused as a tourist in a Turkish taxi. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, like, if you don't speak a single word of Turkish, then the Turkish taxi drivers are going to try their best to cheat you. Oh, yeah, I've been in that situation, but not in Turkey. Exactly my point. Like, Turkish taxi drivers are everywhere. <laughs> and I don't like you all. The Global Federation of Turkish exactly. Tra- Taxi Drivers. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the biggest popular movement in Turkey ever since the Islamists in the 90s. Okay. <laughs> all so, right. Now that this telling is very abridged, it's not the entire thing. So please don't quote me in anything you say to people about the French Revolution, but I don't think it's going to be a fireside conversation anyhow. So let's start then, shall we? Thomas, are you awake? I am awake. Yeah, he's awake for France, baby. So our story begins in 1789. 
France just declared bankruptcy because of the refined taste of the French monarchy. So basically orgies, banquets, ballets, and all that. And also, due to France funding the revolutionary war of my co-host lovely country here. USA! USA! Thank you, Lafayette! USA, motherfuckers! Exactly. So basically that. So like after funding a war and just like trying to keep up with your outlandish lifestyle, you tend to have you tend to not have a lot of money left unless you're Jeff Bezos, but that's another point. So there's no money left. The harvest has been poor, so the peasants are deprived of bread, which is like their main food. Mm-hmm. And the treatment you receive is based on the province you live in. So it is totes different from the centralized state we know of today. It's totes different. Toast different girl. Toast play. Different. Oh my god. Exactly. Like for example, uh, the amount of tax you pay is different in each region. Like it's based on the tithe holder and the lord of the area you're living in. And also, another example is, for example, you have rabbits eating your crops, right? So you don't want that. So you want to go and hunt the rabbits so that this ceases being a problem. But here's the thing. You, as a peasant, have no right to hunt hunt those rabbits. Only the nobles can. What? Really? Yeah. Damn. Hunting rights were exclusive to nobles. So therefore, like, if I were them, I would be a tad bit angry. I'd say, like, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a wee bit. So, to society and the French, France of, like, the monarchy is divided into three estates or groups of people and professions. Yeah. And statuses. Like the three main pillars of how, like, a medieval, like, society would function. Exactly. So the first estates be like so the top of the pyramid are the priests because France is very much what was and still is a Catholic country, and they make up zero point two percent of the population, so quite a bit. The second are the nobles, so like the courtesans, the advisors, and like basically the land owners of medieval France. Not even like I mean, the structures medieval, but were. In the early modern period, basically. And these would, like, constitute of, like, I guess, similar to, like, basically what we would consider as landlords, but with, like, you know, uh, people to use, like, uh, people in order to enforce their la- their rights over land. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they have this, like, their rights come from blood. Yeah. Yeah. And who are the 2%, which is, again, quite a bit. And then we have the merchants, workers, whores, blackguards, thieves. I pronounced that wrong. Blackguards. Thieves basically anyone else and they make up the rest suffice to say when the third estate so the biggest one has neither bread nor money then they give me the impression that they're basically a powder keg that is about to explode and oh boy explode (laughs) they will a bit too much though so let's set events into motion the king at the time, Louis the Sixteenth, who is known for his indecisiveness, gluttony, and incompetence, dismisses the Minister of Finance, a very popular person, a very popular chap, if you will, whose name I won't trouble you with because, like, I'm not gonna mention him again. So, I don't want your head to be full of unnecessary names. The real reason is because Aaron can't pronounce it. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I have abandoned French learning ten years ago. <laughs> Uh, also, for my French listeners, I apologize for the butchery of the names I'm gonna do I, I, in this, oh, in this oh, episode. I, I can I can do it. No, no, I, I want to look funny in front of French viewers. I need. We to don't make... have any French viewers. We're gonna have one after this. You know, you know, you know how nationalist the Frenchies are. <laughs> okay, so 
after the population of Paris who loved the finance, the ex-finance minister by now, gets a tad bit annoyed at this. So they stormed the then prison fortress of Bastille, who was all Bastille, who was also seen as a monument of the monarchical oppression that French had. And they slaughtered people who were responsible for it. Like, for example, the governor of the prison, there's a misunderstanding, and he gets lynched on the way back, and then someone shoots him, they cut his head and then put it on a pike, and then they walk to the walk to Versailles in the streets of Paris. Baller move. Exactly. Kind of kind of radical for my taste, a bit too radical, but still. <laughs> it gets the job done. So in the end, we have a revolution in our hands. And after this. The king decides that he lacks the power to fight the mobs who are basically armed with cannons and weapons. So overall, it's like, it's not a good prospect if you want to keep your head on your shoulders. So, the king agrees to share power with the representatives of the people. So the enlightened nobles. So like the nobles who value equality and rationality and all that stuff associated with the enlightenment age. So... France becomes a constitutional monarchy. Constitutional monarchy means that, like, there's a monarch, but the monarch's power is not infinite. It is limited by the constitution that the people create. Yeah. Unlike today, most of today's monarchies, where it's so much so that, uh, that the monarchies are completely, like, a ceremonial and that they have no real power. I mean, well, those these are guys, so, yeah. well, these guys still have power. Yeah, but I mean, like, the monarchies of today are also constitutional, but the constitutional basically makes the monarchy's power null. So, again, yeah. ceremonial, as you say. So, this happens, and then the rights of, like, the Declaration of the Rights of Man is drafted, uh, which is basically about equality amongst men. So, I mean, yeah, men, I mean, women or slaves weren't really a part of it. France didn't have slaves, just women and children and, like, disabled people. Um, <laughs> so anyone that was not a white man, let's go with that. So that is declared, and, like, what that ensures is, like, equality of all people in front of the judicial system, the sovereign, the government, mm. and, yeah, all that. So it's, like, the people have the right to protest against the rulers if they're not happy with them now, because that's in their rights. So, everyone is not happy with this. So, there we have two opposing sides. The ones are the hardcore royalists, who believe that peasants, the plebs, the third estate in general, should not have these rights, and that the sole sovereign should be the king. So, all power should be held by the king, who would in turn protect the interests of the nobility. So, like, the outlandish and festive lifestyles of the nobility class. Because, I mean... I'm not sure about you, but it would be very hard for me to stop feasting every single day after, like, I've done that for the six, for 60 years, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, you can't, you, why would you give up uh, your endless oyster diet as well as, oh, like, like, foie gras and all foie gras, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, you know, uh, orgies, like, every, every, not every Friday, every day. Yeah, literally. And you just leave it to some, like, you know, dirty, poor peasants who are probably, who probably engage in incestuous acts. Wait, actually, no, you do incestuous acts. <laughs> I mean, I feel, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like both engage in it in certain ways. But still, like, I, would, I wouldn't want to give out those privileges, especially if I'm in 18th century France. Yeah. Because, like, human rights is still a very new concept at those times with Enlightenment and other periods. Human rights, more like cringe. Yeah, exactly. More, more, like, more, more like human rights to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and 
the opposing side, so like the Webcocks. the exact opposite of the far right arch conservatives, believe that the reforms should be done by the assembly at a faster pace. Like the reforms right now are not enough. We need to go more. We need to do more. We need to reach uh, higher heights because, like, to give an example of this, France at the time. Like the, at least the constitutional monarchy, like men had the right to vote, but only active citizens, so property owners could vote. While the, while the Jacobins just wanted equal franchisement, so everyone could vote. So the Jack, so these, so these people that were pushing for reforms were, were known as the Jacobins. Yeah, the Jacobin club, club basically. So they're going to be our main actors for the de-Christianization and the cults that we're going to talk, or the cult that we're going to talk about in this episode. So. Fostered by the reason-based ideas of the Enlightenment, the Jacobins believe that the French nation should be the ones determining the whole state affairs, not the heaven-mandated king, nor the lapdogs, the nobles. Just give all the power to the people. They know what's best for them, as can be seen with certain elections and referenda of the past decades. Yeah. Yeah. So people know the best. And the Jacobins also, as I said before, they want equal treatment. They want a unicameral system. So, like, they just want one assembly rather than two assemblies making mm. all the decisions. And surprisingly, they're anti-war. Really? I mean, like, the section of the Jacobins we're going to talk about that are anti-war, while the others are, like, pro-war. Yeah. So, France basically gets into war. But, again, that's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they're... Like they're Spoiler to the rest of French history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just fixated on the whole idea of logic, rationality, and virtue. So nerds. Basically, like lawyers, same thing. No. <laughs> so, the Jacobins are not happy with how slow the reforms are progressing, so they decide that they decide to have a small demonstration in the Champ de Mars. So I believe that's where the Eiffel Tower is going to be located then. I think so, maybe. Yeah, so they start protesting. However, the National Guard and the commander Lafayette, yeah, the same Lafayette who greatly aided the U.S. in this in this revolutionary war. Thank you. Tell them to disperse, and due to their disobedience and lenience towards violence, they get fired. Oh, that ain't pretty. That ain't gangster. Yeah, that's not very. That's not a hood classic, let's say. And the alienation caused by this, plus the assembly trying to cover up the escape of the king as just a normal vacation. Yeah, the king tried to escape to the neighboring monarchies. And the Austro-Prussian invasion looming on their heads ruins the perception of the assembly in the eyes of the people of Paris. And the following insurrection led by Georges Danton disposes of them. And Georges Danton is an extremely charismatic figure who is seen as the head of the masses in Paris. Yeah. Also, quick question. Uh, So why would the Austro-Prussians want uh, want to invade France at this time? That's the funny part because... Like, I don't want to get into specifics, but basically uh, an Austrian declaration freaks out the French because the declaration states that if France goes over the line, then a potential invasion will be coordinated between the five powers that rule the European continent. Fuck. But the funny part is those five powers do not agree on anything at all. <laughs> so, like, it's basically a technical clause. In sense it, it was basically Austria saying to France that we're not going to intervene in your state affairs, but we also have to save face in front of other people. Yeah. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, and also just France starts mobilizing, Austria starts mobilizing as well, because, like, France has been a bit too polemical in, whole, in this whole affair. Yeah, a bit too radical. Yeah, and in the end, France declares war on 
Austria. And this is, I believe, before, yeah, this is before the September, like, August the 10th insurrection. So before, like, the Jacobins take power. And, and what year is this right now that we're in? Right now, we're in 1792. 1792. Yeah, okay, 1792. Got it. So All we right. went from 1789, like we jumped from 1789 to 1792. Okay, cool. All right. So we have a new assembly with the Girondins. I'm just going to say Girondins. Moderate radical Jacobins to advocate for war. And the Montagnards. So I'm going to call them the Mountain from now on. Mountain. <laughs> yeah. The hardcore radical Jacobins. Oh, by the way, quite a bit of the nobility imprisoned in Paris and the king himself got executed after the events. So there you have it. Unmitigated radicalism. <laughs> My favorite part about every revolution. Like the one in the one in Russia, amazing form of radicalism. <laughs> Unmitigated um, baseness. Yeah, base base <laughs> radicals. Just like radicalism. remove remove every trace of historical tradition that we have. And then, due to their moderate stance at the prospect of executing the king, the Girondins basically went and said, Hey, maybe we should reconsider chopping off the head of the king. So they say that, and they threatened to call French troops to Paris, made polemicists and popular figures like Jean-Paul Marat attack and mobilize militias against the Girondins, and boom! Their heads remained on their shoulders for a little bit of time after that, so they didn't survive the whole ordeal. <laughs> so there you have it. The mountain has total domination of the assembly, and they will set the foundation of the fuckery we're about to see. So the policy... The Jacobins have quite a bit of interesting policies about virtue, de-Christianization, and war. But the one we're going to focus on today is de-Christianization, which is the Jacobin attempt at abolishing the foothold Catholicism. The foothold Catholicism had on our lovely French people. And this is goes back to like what we were saying, what Aaron was saying about um, how you had this like caste system kind of with the three different estates, with the first estate kind of also being part of the oppression of the majority of the uh, of the people. Exactly. So that's the thing is, the as I said before, the Jacobins are hardcore. Like the Mountain is a hardcore radical faction. So they they basically want to abolish every single semblance of tradition ha- that. That that's is a, a that is apparent in France, and the goal is to create like I guess a new society from, yeah, from the bottom up. It's like a revolution from the ground up. Yeah, it's a, it's a major revolution that like re- again, as the word entails, revolutionizes how society is structured. No, really, no, <laughs> revolutions revolutionize exactly. society. Well, actually, in some cases, they don't. I mean, <laughs> And like one of the key pillars of the ancient structure of France is the Catholic Church. So they need to break the backbone of the Catholic Church if they want to reform French society. Yeah. So material, to one of the ways to do this is presenting material alternatives to Catholicism. But mm. before we get to that, I would like to give some other crazy examples of de-Christianization. So we have churches being looted, icons being stolen... One of these being the supposed crown of thorns that Christ wore during his crucifixion. Or was it after his crucifixion? It was during. Yeah, during the crucifixion. It was looted from Saint-Chapelle, which, I mean, Notre Dame. And we don't know his whereabouts. Another thing is, France, in an attempt to abolish the the Christian connection that the calendar had, tried reforming the time and calendar itself. And they reform time, people. Yes, they reform time. <laughs> the liberals have done it again. <laughs> so rather than having a seven-day week, we now have a ten-day week. 
Why? Because the number 10 is important. <laughs> My number 10 is important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and rather than having days dedicated to the saints of Christianity, now we have days dedicated to agricultural products and tools. So, for ah. example, in your one only vacation day, you sit down and contemplate a potato. What? Yes, you have. You have. It's, it, it is a very interesting thing. Oh, also, by the way, Sunday was important because Sunday was the only vacation day people had in their week. So, like, six days you work, one day you rest. Yeah, it's a Sabbath. Yeah. Well, now you work for nine days and rest for one day, contemplating your, the, the tool that you used to work with. So, it's not a very nice vacation. Oh, boy. I mean, people must be excited for Ho Wednesday. Exactly. <laughs> And I mean, yeah, the 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 names of the months are changed. Everything is changed, and yeah, this, and they take the starting year of the French Revolution as a basis. So yeah. after seventeen ninety three, you see documents being titled as Year One, Year Two, Year Three. Yeah. So rather than like the the calendar we used to think Khmer Rouge, but French. Exactly. Well, actually, that's a few in the French word, so thank you. <laughs> exactly. The, the, the French is, are the root for everything, basically. Yeah. So now we get to after, I believe, 20 minutes of talking about the French Revolution. Now we get to the real meat and potatoes of the episode. Oh, I thought we would keep going on about the French Revolution. <laughs> if, you, if you let me, I will talk about the French Revolution for 10 hours. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy that I only focused on decushionization. Well, try, well, now we need to get a Twitch stream. Uh, pla- we need to get exactly. a Twitch stream account. I'm gonna, and, when and, I, when and I, I become a professor, I'm just going to like lock my class and talk about the french revolution for 10 hours <laughs> just keep just and make your students subscribe to you well exactly. you know to let them out <laughs> just have them donate to me but okay so the first of these material or material alternatives to christianity is the cult of reason which advocates how it is not the teachings of a divine presence wait I, that's that's bad english wait so the cult of reason advocates human logic which is the guiding lights on guide like wait okay i need to formulate that sentence we'll, we'll cut it out yeah. yeah yeah no worries um the cult of reason basically states that it is not the teachings of a divine presence that should guide humans on their path to salvation but it should be humans themselves and specifically their logic yeah so Humanity should aspire to go to its roots, to nature and its laws. And for us to understand and communicate with nature, we need to use the faculty of reason, lest we die unfulfilled. Huh, that's interesting. So it's like kind of like a, what I would imagine, like a very extreme version of like, or like one take on uh, humanism, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's like it puts humans at the forefront. So actors who would go against our reason and the rules of nature must be punished because what they believe is nature holds everything important so how to live our lives how to organize ourselves and all that and because they're against the actors that are against nature because they believe that they are the wrench that can ruin the cogs of the machine that is the french nation but where does nature come from in that case i guess that's an interesting question i'm gonna answer it in a bit the cult of reason as the name states tries to distance itself away from christianity as much as possible it establishes temples of reason and buildings which used to be dedicated to the worship of the divine. It refuses the inherent depravity of humans as stated by the original sin. 
saying that humans are inherently good and that being in the right environment will make it so. Because basically the doctrine of original sin states that humans are born inherently flawed yeah. and they should dedicate their lives to fixing this law flow the fixing these flows to have a fulfilling afterlife experience yeah and this re- very much reminds me of like what the, the like the base the the philosophical basis of the french revolution with like rousseau and the idea exactly and the idea that humans are inherently good um which goes against like you know the um uh the, like the, the reason behind like you know more authoritarian states such as divine monarch, divine monarchy, or like Leviathan and stuff like that, in which man is errant wolf to man, um, as uh, Hobbes once said as well. Yeah, exactly. So we're because the thing with Enlightenment is that they don't outright deny the existence of a god. They they're just against how Christianity is structured. Like they do not believe the idea that there is a king yeah. mandated by the the christian faith yeah like they don't like they think what's the priests say is basically hogwash yeah and it's like in america as well because they most of the founding fathers were um or deists which is basically they believed in like a god but not specific specifically to like any religion exactly like it's deistic because liberty in this religion is key and for you to embrace liberty you need to understand the mother of this idea which is nature like it's it's nature that nourish liberty. Huh. Okay. What what but what do you need to understand nature? Boom. You need reason. So Thomas. Yeah. If everyone got their noggin jogging, we would be in a utopic society where no harm befalls on anyone. Oh my God, this reminds me of just, of like you know of like those of like those uh, posts on on the uh, on social media where it's like if everybody was just thought and just like. Learn to love each other. We would live in a better society. Yeah, man. <laughs> just, just, just think before your actions. Why aren't you being rational, man? Yeah, oh man. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, what? It, it, was, it was like, man is not a rational being? What hogwash? Yeah, what hogwash? <laughs> what, what do you mean by emotions? That's cringe. Stop. What? <laughs> so, after all the stuff I said to you about how the cult of reason is inherently against religion, you're, you might think that they're atheistic and that this is just atheistic hogwash and this will eventually lead to uh reddit atheists and uh neckbeards with um fedoras and katanas but you'd be wrong what really yeah exactly because occultists minus some radical fringes which said stuff like jesus was a jewish slave god is non-existent Jeez. god is dead that marquis de Sade, so the famous french philosopher is the person who said this i wouldn't call him i wouldn't call him of a philosopher i would call him more of like a uh a uh a degenerate yeah because you're christian <laughs> nev they, the cultists never outright denied the existence of a creator they just claim that he plays no parts in our daily affairs so what what this means is that they're deistic, so in the sense that they believe that a creator exists and he created the nature that we aspire to follow with our reason. Yeah. But God, the divine, or like whatever you may call it, does not intervene in our lives. Like everything is up to us. Yeah. And that's what I was used to be as well the spe- in high school. The spaghetti monster is not directly involved in your life. Exactly. Or any, <laughs> any, any other higher being you may believe in. And the interesting part is, I told you that they try distancing themselves away from Christianity as much as they can. Yeah. But the interesting part is they're also influenced by Christianity because, of course, you're going to be influenced no, by Christianity. No, really? I know. <laughs> 
You grew up in a Christian society and you're influenced by Christianity. Crazy, man. I mean, of course, because... Hogwash. <laughs> everything is based on accumulation, so you need to be influenced by something while formulating your own ideas. You yeah. need to have a point of reference. Yeah. So they also have saints. They also had saints. But rather than martyred missionaries spreading the word of God and all that is holy, we have martyred revolutionaries spreading the word of enlightenment, logic, and all that is material. For example, we have our good old pacifist Maha, Maha who was, again, the head of the, the head of a journalist which advocated for violence towards nobility and people who were against the revolution in general in the most violent way possible. So after he gets assassinated by a moderate, we start seeing his likeness in temples of reason. We have people worshipping him. We have people saying stuff like, oh, heart of Mara, they, they basically taking from Christian scriptures and then adapting it to a logical context. Huh. Because another part is, he was murdered in a bathtub. So naturally, his bathtub was a prominent site in his burial procession. So they basically saw his bathtub as the cross where yeah. Jesus was crucified on. Yeah, no, definitely. Which is quite interesting. Uh, he died as a revolutionary, and he will continue as a revolutionary in wherever he, end he ends up in. You either die revolutionary or live long enough to see yourself become a Bonapartist. <laughs> or a monarchist, yeah. We also have the Pantheon. Lovely place, by the way. I went to I went there in Paris last time. Really? Amazing place. Being converted into a crypt for martyrs and representatives of the Enlightenment, like Rousseau, who on record said that he hates Paris. <laughs> he like the guy said in his will that he would be he would rather be buried in the countryside and he was buried in the countryside, but then he got moved back to Paris. Oh my fucking which is, again, god. A city he hates. <laughs> and he's still there by the way. I saw him. Is, <laughs> was he rolling in his grave? <laughs> I, I, I didn't look into his grave. <laughs> you hear like a slow like turbine kind of noise like <laughs> Exactly that, that, that's how that's how, that's how the French state is powered. <laughs> but other than Christian imagery because again they want to distance themselves from christianity they also use quite a bit of classical imagery because that was basically all the rage in the 18th and 19th century yeah classical as like roman and, and Greek. roman and Greek with yeah. the pillars and all that it's also quite prominent we have feasts of reason like the feast of saturnalia in rome we have goddesses goddesses of reason and we have liberty goddesses of reason and liberty and we also have icons of reason so all in all, they don't miss when it comes to reason. They love it quite a bit, if I may say they, so. They really, they love them reason, you know? Yeah, they, <laughs> they do be loving the reason. They do though. be loving the reason. But the thing with the cult of reason was that... Wait, no, we'll cut it up. Okay. And the cult of reason had quite a bit of believers in it, like the actual believers. But there were also other people who used it as a political tool to decrease catholic terrorism and just like rebellions in the countryside hmm. because yeah. one of the main reasons why for a region such as the vendee rebelled was because they were catholic and they were royalists so when you take both of them both of those away from them then they're going to be angry at you and we have people like joseph fouché going to the south creating temples of reason organizing processions of reason and just trying to indoctrinate people to the cult of reason 
as much as they can. Yeah, I'm pretty. Was it, I'm, I'm guessing like when he went down there, he'll be like, "Hey guys, you get to wear togas and and have and have sex out in public." I mean, it's great, guys. Exactly, and just like and, just, and the worship bathtub that we carry from Paris is quite important. I you promise. will. Hey, hey, listen, cross. Good and all, but hey, we gotta. It's modern times, and we gotta, we gotta think progressively. Yeah, how about bathtub? bathtub? Yeah, bathtubs are the new thing. Come on, guys. Exactly. Get with, with the program. Then it all sounds all fine and dandy, but the cult of reason was quite short-lived. I believe six, seven months, because Maximilien Robespierre, the head honcho of the mountain, so the guy who was the chief architect of the Reign of Terror. So the cult as an important tool used by his more radical. Yes, you can get more radical than the guy who literally created the <laughs> reign of terror. <laughs> Opponent Jacques, Jacques Hebert. So uh, yeah, I, I guess the guy was like you know instead instead of like going around killing people, he was killing people with uh, while also doing sick tricks on his uh, skateboard. He was actually a proto anarchist. No way. Yeah. No. Wow. Okay. So, like, he was basically seen as the leader of the masses, and when you wield that much power, no one knows what you can do with it. So, after being condemned countless times for his supposedly moderate stance of executing 90 people per day rather than <laughs> 90,000, Robespierre stages the execution of Hebert and his followers, therefore breaking the backbone of the cult of reason. And he doesn't finish there, though. He also has other plans in his sleeve, such as creation of the cult of the supreme being which is similar but also quite different from the cult of reason due to its unnatural focus on virtue okay so guys i feel like i've already talked quite a bit about the french revolution and the cult of reason so it might seem a bit much for the first time listeners and the people who are not aware of the entire thing so we i have taken the executive decision to talk about the sup- cult of the supreme being in next week's episode yeah, we'll also have a bonus episode where we give the entire co- uh, material, uh, historical materialist uh, context of the French Revolution um, in like a seven-part series. Exactly. Just, I think we're just going to stop with the obscure political ideologies and start talking about the French Revolution. Yeah, this is, this is now a French Revolution podcast in which every day – and we're going to start not actually at the French Revolution. We're going to start all the way back in, uh, Neil, in the Neolithic France in order to understand – why peasants hate the Catholic exactly. Church. <laughs> and our episode release schedule is going to be in accordance with the French Revolutionary calendar. So yes. we're going to contemplate a product of agriculture yes. every time before we start the episode. And you won't know what the title of our episode is because it will just be labeled as like a potato, lentils, corn. Um, write that down. Yeah, write that write down. That down. <laughs> write that down. But anyway... Um, also, we have a YouTube channel now. We only have one video because it takes time to uh, edit videos and it's more intensive. I know I'm getting on and I'm a lazy fuck. But you um, do it. You still do I it. I still do it. But yeah, so check us out on YouTube. We'll, link will be in the description. Um, yeah, and thank you for tuning in, everybody. We really appreciate um, all the listeners have been uh, tuning in and enjoying our content. So thank you so much. And uh, Hopefully you guys have a good day after listening to me ramble about French rationality. Yeah, because it only goes downhill from here. Exactly, baby. Yeah. So, thank you, everybody. Uh, This has been Ideologica Obscura with Thomas. And Aran. (laughs) Or or Monsieur Aran. No, Citroën Aran after the (laughs) extensive amounts of research on French Revolution I did. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Peace out.